Last Sunday was a party. Last Sunday was a celebration. Last Sunday, we joined together and witnessed the most important event in human history, the resurrection of Jesus, the conquering of the grave, the redemption of creation. But what happens this week is no less amazing. Jesus didn't just rise and ascend. He didn't just come back for the celebration. He came back with a message. He came back with marching orders. He came back to say, now it's your turn. I have done my part in bringing the kingdom. But just as God sent me, now I am sending you. So go everywhere, make disciples, baptize them, teach them. Life will still be tough, maybe tougher, but know that through all of this, the trials and the joy, the tears and the laughter, I am with you. Always to the very end. There we go. That's good. Welcome, everybody, and let me start off by saying happy Mother's Day to all the mothers who are here with us today. As I mentioned earlier, as the future and the current and the past mothers, we appreciate you all very much. And the topic for today is one that is very fitting to be spoken about on Mother's Day. We are talking, we're in a series now, we're calling it World Changers. And we're talking about people who have changed the world and how we can be world changers. And I looked up a statistic that you might not believe, but it is true. That anyone in the history of all mankind who has ever changed the world had a mother. A real live mother. So that we can say that truly you moms, y'all are the real world changers. Because if it wasn't for you, then none of us would be able to do anything that we have done. And that includes Jesus himself had a mother. And every one of the apostles had a mother. And what we're talking about is, as the video just kind of showed us right there, is that after Jesus rose from the dead and came back, I love how the video put it so eloquently. He didn't just come for a celebration. He came for a mission. And we as his disciples, as his followers, unfortunately, too many of us, when it comes to the resurrection of Christ, we know the celebration, and that's all it is. And we look at it as a celebration of something to be celebrated, but we miss out on what he really came back for. And as the video said, that Jesus didn't come back for a celebration. He came back for a mission. He came back with marching orders. So what we're talking about here in this series is the same way that the apostles, and we looked specifically last time, two weeks ago, at the apostle Peter, about how after the resurrection, how Jesus came back, and Jesus came back with marching orders, with a mission, and he told Peter that now is your turn. I've done my part, and now it's your turn, and you go turn the world upside down as I did. Now I leave. Now you go before you leave, and then you get someone else to do it after before you go as well. And we looked at how Peter, how his faith in the resurrection, his faith in the resurrection made him an entirely new person. And we agreed last time that faith, real faith, 
is not in your brain. Real faith, remember I said faith is not belief. Faith is behavior born out of belief. Faith is more than a mental acknowledgement. To say I believe in the resurrection and then go on living life as usual means that you don't believe in the resurrection. To say you believe in the resurrection means that you acknowledge it mentally and then your life outside manifests that faith. I gave you all the example last time about Abraham. What showed that Abraham believed in God? Not that he said, God is the best. I love God. He's the best. What made Abraham full of faith was that he took his son up a mountain with a knife in his hand and he believed that God would raise him from the dead. Faith is not belief. Faith is behavior born out of belief. We saw last time how God wants to give that world-changing faith to ordinary idiotes like me and like you. And he wants to take ordinary people and fill them with extraordinary world-changing faith. And that's what we're praying for. And when we have that world-changing faith, it will manifest itself in three ways. And that's the three parts of this series. Talk today about world-changing prayer. Talk next week about world-changing speaking, and we'll talk the final week about world-changing obedience. But today we're talking about prayer, all right? And again, perfectly fitting for moms, because moms, it's their prayers that do really change the world. Here's our key thought for today. Our key thought is this, that what you pray for reflects what you believe about God. What you pray for, or what you don't pray for, reflects what you believe about God. For example, let's say someone's prayers, you pray small prayers, rinky-dink prayers. Then you believe in a rinky-dink God, a small God who isn't that mighty, who can't do that much. You pray uh, impersonal prayers, impersonal. Thou uh, who dust and you kind of speaking to like the wall. So your belief about God is that he isn't, uh, isn't a personal God. There's no relationship there. It's just a being that you speak to so you don't get condemneth. <laughs> you pray selfish prayers. Give me this. I want this. Fix this. Bless this. What, is that, what does that reflect about what you believe about God? It means that you believe that God is your servant. And his job is to make you happy. And he better do a good job. You don't pray at all. That might say the most about what you believe about God, one who doesn't pray. Just listen to what we say about prayer. Just listen to the language that we use. Uh, situation's gotten really bad. No choice now but to pray. Nothing I can do now, just have to pray. Imagine what does God hear when he, when he hears you say that. Imagine what is God thinking. You say, I got no choice, nothing I can do, all I can do now is pray. And God says, really? It's gotten that bad? Oh, man. You're in trouble now. All you can do is pray? <sighs> I feel for you, man. If you listen to the stuff that we say about prayer, it shows you that maybe there's a problem in what we believe about God. Because what you pray for reflects what you believe about God. You don't believe me? Let's put you to the test. Y'all see in your handout, you have some blank spaces. And there's a question above that, those blank spaces. What does it say? It says, what did you pray about last week? And if I say, tell me what you prayed about last week. In your, you know how sometimes there's stuff in your mind 
which is circulating. But then if you try to write it down, you find out it's really nothing. And if you try to say it, it's really nothing. That's how it is with prayer. What did you pray about, Lazy? Oh, man, I prayed, you know, a lot, a lot of stuff. All kinds of prayer stuff. Okay, write it down. Write it down on a little piece of paper. This is not a rhetorical. This is like a real exercise. You have a pen. You have a paper. Write down some of the things you prayed about. Because I'm sure you prayed about so many things. So just list the top three or four, five or six, you know, things that you prayed about. Anything on there? Or is it all going to be like, please heal my tummy? <laughs> or please don't let him pull me over. Yes. <laughs> or please don't let my boss walk in while I'm printing at the office. Or, or in the supply closet again. <laughs> Why I'm asking you this question, because let's say once you finish your list, okay, everyone's going to write down what the stuff they prayed for. And then I'm, I'm going to pull a fast one here on you. And I'm going to say, congratulations. After you wrote down what you prayed for, congratulations. This is your lucky day. You know why it's your lucky day? Because I was talking to God this morning, and we came up with a deal. Everything that you prayed about over the last seven days, yes. God says, I will give you. Everything that you prayed about over the last seven days, God is saying to you, imagine that God is saying to you today, I will grant you everything that you prayed about over the last seven days. Here's my question to you based on that. What would the world look like if that was really true? You know what? Let's be honest. I want to be honest. If God were to grant us all, everything that we asked for over the last week, my bet is that the world wouldn't look any different. The only thing that would look different is my happiness. Because 99.9% .9 of our prayers are make me happy. I'm single. If God answered all my prayers, that boy would have asked me out. I'm married. If God would have answered my prayer, my husband would have said a nice word out of his mouth for the first time in his stinking life. I'm at work and I hate my boss. If God answered my prayer, my boss would have been hit by a bus. Let's be honest. If we're honest, if God answered all of our prayers with a yes, whatever it is we requested, I'm not even listening to the request. You just submit it on a piece of paper, everything that you prayed for, and I say, yes, 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 yes. The entire world wouldn't look any different except you and your own personal circumstances. I know um, a lady, two ladies actually, that I always think of. They're neither of them from here, who are the exact opposite of And these two ladies, every time I'm with these two ladies, they inspire me beyond belief. One of them is single, one of them is married. Each of them has like serious family relational problems. Each of them has serious problems in their personal life, but you could never tell it by listening to the way they pray. Because these two ladies, if God said yes to every one of their prayers, I guarantee you the world wouldn't look the same. If God said yes to all their prayers, number one, Churches today all over North America would be people lined up out the door, filled out the wazoo with people. Because these people pray every single Sunday that God would bring people to church to find him and be part of his body and part of his family forever. These people, if God answered all their prayers, orphans by the thousands, not by the hundreds, by the thousands, would find love and would find a home that accepts them and cares for them. These two ladies, if God answered all their prayers, 
Y'all know about like the abducted girls and all the human trafficking. Man, these two girls, these two ladies, man, they pray about stuff like that. And if God answered all their prayers, human trafficking and the abducted girls and all that stuff and the bad guys, you'd never see those bad guys ever again. Because these two ladies, anytime I'm with them, they inspire me to pray world-changing prayers. Not just selfish, me-happy prayers. Their horizon is much bigger than make me happy today, make me comfortable today. These people, these two ladies, they understand that Jesus was a world changer, and Jesus' disciples were world changer, and we're going to be Jesus' disciples, then we should be world changers as well. And before we even do any world changing, then it begins by praying in a world changing kind of a way. Is that how you pray? I'll be honest, that's not how I pray. At least that's not always how I pray. That's not usually how I pray. Jesus commanded us. The Bible commands us in Jeremiah chapter 29, 7. Y'all remember, this is our church promise for 2014. This is our promise. This is the promise that God gave to us. And every promise is conditional. And God is promising us something if we do something. Jeremiah 29, 7. It is commanded that you seek the peace of the city where I've caused you to be carried away captive and pray to the Lord for it. For in its peace, you will have peace. We like that last part. In its peace, you will have peace. But the condition above it is very clear, that you seek the peace of the world around you. And like I said, over the next three weeks, we're going to talk about different components of seeking the peace of the world around us, changing the world around us. But the first one that is, that is, that is clearly stated right there, in a very blunt way, we must pray to the Lord for the city that, we, that is surrounding us. The most common misconception, evangelism, mission. What's evangelism? I'm not an evangelist. I don't know how to speak. I don't know how to preach. I'm telling you, we're going to talk about evangelizing. And we're talk about mission, talk about all these things. And I'm telling you, I said three things. It comes with world-changing prayer, world-changing speaking, and world-changing obedience, life of holiness. I'm telling you, only one out of the three components have to actually do with speaking words. So don't even sit here and say, well, I'm not good at speaking. I'm not into evangelism. I don't care about the world around me. It's commanded there that if you're in the city, you pray for this city. And actually, if you pay attention to the prayers of the church, in the Orthodox Church, we pray for the city around us all the time, don't we? Don't we pray for this, the salvation of the world, this city, its district, districts, islands, monasteries? We pray for the world around us, the city that we are in, because it is commanded to us clearly in the Scripture. What we're doing here in this series is seeing how we can fulfill this verse. Today is the first component, world-changing prayer. We're going to go back to the story that we started two weeks ago, which is a story from Acts chapter 3 and 4 about Peter and John, disciples of Christ, world-changers themselves. They did that great miracle where they healed that lame man who had been lame since the day he was born. They healed him, and they said, this is the best thing in the whole wide world. And the Pharisees said, we don't like you doing this stuff. And they brought him in for trial. As they're on trial, they said, how did you do this? And how did you do this miracle? And they said, you know how we did this miracle? And they were bold and they were strong. And they had that extraordinary, world-changing faith. And they said, it was by the name of Jesus, the Lord of glory, whom you crucified. And booyah, right in their face. And they weren't backing down. And they weren't scared of their threats. They didn't care about nothing. Why? Because there's a man outside who had been lame since the day he was born, who was running around, jumping around as a testimony to the name of Jesus whom they preached. And they didn't care about nothing. Story goes on. 
the, what happens next in front of the Sanhedrin. Acts 4, verse 23 and 24. On their release. Oh, so I'm sorry. So the, the Sanhedrin, the bad guys, they had to let them go. They wanted to kill them. They wanted to shut them up, but they couldn't. Why? Because of the lame man who was walking around. Like, someone walks in Arlington and starts healing sick people. And then the police put him in jail. No, no, no. Then all the sick people are going to go kill the police. Okay, we need this guy around here. Like, he's healing people. We got plenty of sick people. No, there would have been a revolt against the Sanhedrin and the Pharisees if they'd have tried to put these guys in prison. They wanted to, but they couldn't have had to let him go because the city said, these guys are, are, are doing miracles, and we need them out. On their release, Peter and John went back to their own people and reported all that the chief priests and the elders had said to them. And when they heard this, they raised their voices together in prayer to God. Man, that's a powerful verse. They raised their voices together in prayer to God. There's something powerful, and I can't put my finger on it. There's something powerful when believers gather together, together in prayer. Like pray on your own, very important. But praying together, very powerful. Praying on your own is like lighting a candle. Praying together is like a blowtorch where everyone puts their candle in the middle and and when we pray together, there's power there. And one of the things that I am praying and I really feel like God is, is speaking to me about with regard to like our church is we need more opportunities to lift our voices together in prayer. Now, before I go any further... Because I know I'm about to lose some people, about to tune out some people right now. Before I go any further, especially the gentlemen in the room, let me help you out here if I tell you something. An admission. I hate prayer meetings. I hate prayer meetings. I'm a priest. I know I, can get out, I get kicked out of the priest club for saying it. But I'm not a fan of prayer meetings. Long, crying, long... Sniffling, drama, moaning, long. That's not, like someone says, we're going to have a six-hour prayer meeting today. I'm going to be the first one to say, like, uh, I got something to do today. You know what especially, part I don't like about prayer meetings? What is, I'm confessing. This is all the same confession, okay? You know how sometimes you hold hands? You know the holding hands, like the circle and the holding hands? Okay. I don't know if it's a guy thing. I don't know if it's a me thing. I don't know if I'm just programmed different. I can't pray when there's holding hands because I'm so focused on the logistics. First thing, you go in, and some people are overhand and some are underhand. Okay? And you never know what to do. And the worst is to be unequally yoked, right? And you have one like this and one like this. And then there's some people, like, forgive me, I'm confessing. Okay, don't judge me. The intertwiners <laughs> versus the cup. Okay. I'm all about the cup. Okay? The intertwining is certainly not needed. And then you got your swingers. You know what I'm saying? You got your squeezers. Mm, you got your sweaters. And <laughs> all these logistical things make the hand-holding prayer meeting not necessarily my cup of tea. But with that said, even though it may be uncomfortable and it may not be how we're programmed, there is power 
to praying together in one accord. And I'll be the first one to say, even though I may not always enjoy it, there is power together when we as believers unite together. You know what happens when we pray together? Here I am, you know, like imagine Lego blocks. And I say, I want to build up my, my faith. So I take a Lego block and I build, okay? I pray, and then I pray, and then I pray, and then I'm done. I got three Lego blocks. You know what happens when we pray together? You pray, and you build three. You pray, and you build on top of his three. And you pray, and you build on top of her three plus his three. And then you pray, you got four. So now we're up to ten. And now I'm praying, and now I'm not starting at zero. I'm starting on the tenth floor right now. And when we pray together, what we do is we leverage the faith of others. And you may not have the faith. And there's so many times, I can't tell you how many times where I myself... I'm down, and I'm not praying. I say, you know what? We need, to get, we need to get together and pray. Uh, we need to pray for the ministry, pray for the church, pray for whatever. I'll be honest. You know what I'm saying? I'm saying I'm too down to pray. And I know by inviting you and you and you and you and putting you all in that room, y'all are going to pick me up. I remember when we were, used to go to Africa. Anyone who's been on a mission trip to Africa. Man, I'm telling you. And I'm saying this, and if you haven't gone on a mission trip or been in this experience, you're going to say, I'm crazy. I just said I was crazy. Like I would have said, what I'm about to say is crazy. We used to spend like an hour and a half, two hours in prayer, and no one felt the thing. I don't know. That's a crazy thought. That's crazy. And someone say right now, you're going to spend the next two hours in prayer, we're all going to fake an injury. We used to do that on a regular basis. How? Because when prayer is together, and it's one accord, and someone fast forwards you up to the 10th floor, and all of a sudden, you're, hey, you're starting here. You start, man, that stuff is powerful stuff. We used to walk out of those prayer meetings. No one complained. No one said anything. We used to walk out of those prayer meetings, and we'd say, where's the water? I want to walk on top of it right now. Bring me water. I'm going to go on top. You got water? I'm going to turn it to wine right now. Right now. Five loaves, two fish. I can do that. We used to feel like we could walk through a brick wall. We used to feel like it was nothing that was impossible for us. We used to feel like we were dumb idiotes, like dumbest people in the world. That we used to, forgive me, we used to take the dumbest kids in the world on these mission trips. The dumbest kids. We'd be up there in prayer, we'd go outside, and these dumb kids, they would go up to scary, huge guys, and they'd preach the gospel to them with power. And I'd be like, man, I'm scared, but they're not scared. And these are dumb people. And these people wouldn't, back home, that's what prayer does, is it lifts us all up together. And that's what happened here. They raised their voices together in prayer to God. What did they do when they lifted their voices? This is how they prayed. Watch this prayer and compare this to our fix my life, give me a promotion, please don't let me get a ticket kind of prayers. They said, sovereign Lord. Y'all know what sovereign means? Sovereign is a great word. Sovereign means God, I'll make it modern, you're the man. You control everything. You are not an itsy bitsy little God. You are God. And he says, you are sovereign Lord. You made the heavens and the earth and the sea and everything in them. You spoke by the Holy Spirit. And indeed, Herod and Pontius Pilate met together with the Gentiles and the people of Israel in this city to conspire against your holy servant, Jesus, whom you anointed. They did what your power and will had decided beforehand should happen. I love how they pray, you made the heavens, you made the earth. You made the sea and everything in them. You, if for those who have attended like a liturgical service, you see th this is where the liturgical prayers come from because this is how they used to pray. 
This is like the liturgical prayers weren't just something they sat down and wrote. Liturgical prayers, the way it started, was there was nothing written. People just started praying and started praying. And this is how they prayed. And then eventually the church wrote it down for us in a book. But this is how they prayed. You're sovereign. You made the heaven. You made the earth. You made the sea. You made the birds. You made the sky. You made everything. Let me ask you a question. Why do they have to remind God all the stuff he made? You think God forgot? God's saying, oh, that's me. Why do they have to remind God about his sovereignty? Why? Seems like a waste of time. Be more efficient, just go straight to the request. Who are they reminding about the sovereignty of the Lord? Themselves. They're not reminding God. What they are doing is priming the pump, so to speak. They're getting their minds and their, more importantly, their spirits ready to stand before God. This is why one of the things we do when we say, like, stand up for prayer. Why is it that we stand up for prayer? It doesn't matter if you stand or sit or on your head. Like, it doesn't matter. God doesn't got his spirit. But what it is, it's me. It's getting me ready that, no, something important is about to happen. President of the United States walks in the room, everybody gets up. President of, of, of the university walks in, everybody gets up. If the creator of the universe is going to walk in, then we're going to stand up to remind ourselves, like, we're, we're posturing our spirits. That's why another thing that we do, which you may or may not do, which I like to do, but whatever, is like in the morning, especially when you stand before God and you start your morning prayer, I start with a prostration. You bow down. Why? I ain't just going to walk into God's office. Like, you can't just stroll into God's office like that. Like, who just walks in and just waltzes in? You walk into God's presence and you see him. St. John the Beloved in Revelation says, I fell down as dead at his feet. And then the Lord picked him up. I'm not saying, like, don't, don't go in the wrong direction with what I'm saying, that we have to be afraid of God and all that stuff. I'm not saying that God is commanding us to do that. I'm saying free will out of my respect and my fear of the Lord, that I say, I'm getting myself ready to speak to the sovereign, almighty God. That's what they were doing. I say, God, you created the heavens. You created the earth. You created the sea. So by the time I get to the end and say, my boss is giving me a hard time. <laughs> Who is my boss? Who is my boss? This is sovereign Lord. By the time I get to my tummy hurts a little bit. Who is my tummy? The tummy? I'm talking about God created the universe. And your dumb little tummy you're worried about it is outside of his hand. I'm telling you, not one little hair fall from your head outside of the sovereignty of God. They put themselves in the right mindset. And as they stood in that right mindset, they prayed two of the most world-changing prayers, which I'm going to look at right now, two of the most boldest, strongest, biggest world-changing prayers, and these are the kind of prayers that I'm telling you, let me just open my heart right now, that I am praying with all my heart that these are the kinds of prayers that would characterize us here at STSA. And I'm not just saying that, I'm praying that with all my heart. Because you want to know what keeps me up at night, what makes me afraid? I don't care if the church grows or doesn't grow. I never care about that stuff. I don't care if we get money or don't get money. I don't never care about that stuff. My greatest fear in life is that we become a going-through-the-motions church. That's my greatest, like, ah, that we become a routine, going through the motions, and an expression I always say is doing church. That's my greatest, greatest, greatest fear. I want these prayers to characterize us, that we are not just going to be going through the motions, lukewarm, nominal Christians. We're going to be people who are fully devoted, on-fire followers of the risen Christ, who believe with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength that he is risen from the dead and that he gives life to those who repent and who follow him and who believe in his name. We believe that with all of our heart and you will see that belief 
and the way we pray and the way we speak and the way we live our lives. Let's start with the prayer. Two prayers they prayed. First one is world changers pray for boldness. World changers, if we're going to be world changers, we have to pray for boldness. This is what they said in Acts 4.29. After they said the sovereign Lord and they primed the pump and they put themselves in the right state of mind. They said, Lord, consider their threats and enable your servants to speak your word with great boldness. Consider their threats. They're threatening to kill us, threatening to beat us, and give us boldness in the face of those threats. You know what's strange about this request? Let's say I'm advising Peter and John here. And let's say they come to me after this whole episode. And they say, you know, we're thinking about meeting together today and praying for boldness. You know what I think I'd say? I'd say, maybe you tone down the boldness prayer. Because in fact, it's boldness that actually got you in this mess to begin with. So why don't we pray for quietness? Maybe a little wisdom. Maybe a little patience. Maybe y'all need to pray for some solitude away from the people. Because all this boldness, 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 like y'all are already the boldest people in the world. And his boldness is not heading in the right direction. And they said, no. They said, we need more boldness. Man, no one's as bold as you. We need more boldness. Be honest. Be honest. When was the last time you prayed for boldness? If you follow in the book of Acts, you'll say they often prayed that the Lord would give them boldness to speak the word of God. That God would open a door so that they may proclaim the word of God boldly. So many times they prayed for boldness. When was the last time you prayed for boldness? You know why we don't pray for boldness? Who does boldness help? Does boldness help me in any way? Boldness is, a, is not a me. Usually our prayers are me-centered prayers. Heal me. Bless me. Make me happy. Me-centered prayers. Boldness is a 100% other-centered prayer. It has nothing to do with me. In fact, it's probably going to hurt you more than it's going to help you, as we see here with Peter and, J and, and John. Because after these guys got boldness, you know what happened to the end result of all these guys? All of them got killed. There's where boldness will end you up. We don't like this boldness. But this is how world changers pray. World changers pray, give us the boldness. See, the difference between us and the disciples of Christ, these guys, is they actually had this strange belief that they were the servants and he was the master. And that he was the one who had a great mission that he was calling them to, and that mission was their responsibility to do. We don't believe that. That's why I'm saying is true faith is not what you say in your mind. True faith is how you live your life. What we think is that he's our servant, and it's his job to make us happy. And we have a mission, and he's to serve our mission. No, no, no. You have that, man, you're never going to pray for boldness. These guys knew they had a job, and these guys knew they were men on a mission, and they knew they had to proclaim the gospel. And they said, you know what? Man, we're going to need help to proclaim that gospel. Lord, give us boldness. I'm not going to say that this is my prayer every day. I wish I could say that, but I'll be honest and say it's not. Okay, believe me, I fall into the selfish prayer just as much as everyone else, and I fall probably into the no prayer just as much as everybody else. But there was a time in my life, again, connected back with Africa, when I came back from Africa, 
And I really was praying this kind of prayer. And I really was saying, God, give me opportunities to proclaim your name and tell everyone how great you are. And not in a weird, like, repent, or you're burning hell kind of a way, but in a, like, loving your neighbor kind of a way. And I remember that so clearly. I was praying every opportunity. Believe me, you pray, and you will notice opportunities that you didn't even, in a million years, and you'll say, God opened these doors. And I'm telling you, no. The doors were always there, but because you didn't pray, you didn't see the doors. One time in particular. Something with me and travel. Airplanes and airports. This is the best way you want to be an evangelist? Go travel. Because something about sitting in an airport, people coming, people going, going up 20,000 feet, 30,000 feet, you're right next to God. Okay, like something about airplanes and airports and sitting next to somebody and awkward and sharing an armrest is an opportunity. And I remember this one time, I was coming back from the West Coast. And I was, like I said, I was at the top of my spiritual game. Like I was, I was much better then than I am today. Believe me, I was, I was fantastic. And I prayed. And I said, Lord, give me boldness to preach. Like make me, give me opportunities to preach and give me like, I'm kind of, I know people don't believe me. I'm very shy, okay? I'm shy plus awkward, okay? I know. And everyone's like, yeah, he is. Yeah, I agree. Thank you. One nod was enough, okay? I'm shy plus awkward. Believe me, and you say, how can you stand up here and do it? It's much easier to speak to 100 people than it is to speak to one person for me. That's just the way I'm, I'm wired, okay? That's just how I am. So I'm praying, God, give me opportunities, and then give me the boldness to speak, and I remember I'm sitting in the airport, and I pulled out my Egbeya. Okay, that was back before we had iPads and stuff like that. We had paper. Okay. So I pulled it out, and I'm just praying. Okay, and, and I'm praying not because I'm a saint, but because I'm terrified of flying, and I always feel like I'm going to die after I get off my... So th my prayer life is always exponentially higher to and from travel. So I'm praying. And the lady sits next to me, and she's a nice, sweet old lady. And the whole time I'm praying, God, give me opportunities. So I'm like, here we go. I'm going to do something. I don't know what I'm going to do, but I'm going to do something. And I'm just praying and I'm praying and I'm kind of like dual praying because I'm praying the prayer, but I'm kind of like secretly like praying for this lady. You're allowed to kind of pray two prayers at once when you're a priest, like multitasking. And I'm saying like, God, give me an opportunity. And somehow she started a conversation. I think she said like, you know, like she noticed like I'm a priest and I'm praying and she was like a, a Christian lady. So she's like, what is that? So I told her, this is our prayer book. And then, you know, the standard question, which is what are you? Okay. And I answer, you know, I'm a priest and Coptic and all this kind of stuff. And then we had a very nice discussion, okay, a very, very, very nice discussion about the church and, like, the ancient church and, like, what is that? Like, it was a very, very nice discussion. And I thought to myself, this is the best. I'm, I'm about to get on. I have two plane rides because there's, like, a plane, like, a transit. And the second one is, like, the red-eye portion. And I'm like, this is the best. I told God I'm going to do something for him. I didn't get on the plane yet. I finished. Check mark. I'm watching movies on the plane. I'm like, this is perfect. I'm watching movies, I'm asleep. I did what God needed me to do. Congratulations to me. I get on the plane. I actually give her my Ekbeak. All right, I give it to her, whatever. And I get on the plane. And as I'm sitting on the plane, it's me. It's like one of those two-seaters. It's a short plane. And there's a guy next to me. And I'm here and he's there. And you know what I mean? You know what I mean? <laughs> and that's it. But then you have that little gnawing inside of like, maybe God wants me to say something. And this time I said, you know what? I'm going to say something. So I'm like, hi, how's it going? <laughs> and I started some awkward conversation. I don't remember what I did. I'm sure it was awkward. And in the end, he 
reciprocated, and we had a very, very nice conversation. This one was a little bit more meaningful. He was a Christian, but he was kind of away, and he, you know, was considering going back, and I'm like, look, God put a priest right next to you, man, and we're going to go up there right next to God, and like, how much more of a message can you get like this? So, he, you know, I mean, we had a very, very nice conversation, and I told him about church and love Jesus and all this kind of stuff, and I'm like, now I'm in, like, in the Hall of Fame, okay? I'm just going to get on this last plane ride. I'm going to knock out because I'm exhausted because I had two awkward conversations, which is draining for me. I'm going to pass out. Third plane ride. Now this is the red eye. Red eye, no one talks to no one on a red eye. I sit, and I'm the middle seat. And on this side, and on this side. They didn't know each other, but it's as if they were like identical twins. The hair, and the earrings, and the tattoos, and the black, and the leather. Who walks around in all black? Like it's dreary, with facial hair and all black. Like you can just picture the sight, okay? And they're sitting there, and I'm like, whoa. This is awkward, God. I'm already awkward on planes because I'm already the guy who looks like the terrorist. Okay, and this is back like probably six, seven years ago. So I'm already, like I don't like to draw attention to myself. If these guys are drawing attention to everybody and their mother, last thing I want to do is connect myself in any way with these guys. I'm going to sleep. That's it. And there's that gnawing inside. And there's that gnawing. And this time God knew I wasn't going to do it myself. So God had her open the conversation. And then I'm starting to conversate this way, and then this one jumps in. And we spent the entire red-eye flight, probably five hours, speaking about heaven and hell and judgment and second coming and all kinds of deep, deep, deep topics like that. And they weren't drinking. Like, it was a legit conversation. <laughs> and by the end of that trip, I was so exhausted because I didn't sleep, but I never felt better inside. Why? Because, just like these guys, Jesus had a mission, and I felt like, you let me be part of your mission? And he says, yes, Father Anthony, you're part of my mission. And I'm going to put you right here, and I'm going to ask you, or I'm going to put these guys around you, and I'm going to say, Lord, give me boldness. And when you pray that prayer, which is the prayer that we're going to pray. God, give me boldness. God, use me. God, give me opportunities. God, open my eyes to see. God, give me chances to be your body on this earth. I promise you, God will never, ever, ever not answer that prayer. Number one, we pray for boldness. And then number two, which is even harder than number one. Number one was hard. Number two is harder. Y'all aren't going to like this one. World changers pray for miracles. World changers, pray for miracles. Verse 30. After they prayed, give us boldness. And then the next sentence. They said, and stretch out your hand to heal and perform signs and wonders through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. Praying for boldness is going to put you in some tough situations. And when you're in those tough situations, you are going to need the power of God to do miracles. That's right. I didn't hesitate. I didn't stutter. We need to pray for real, live miracles to happen, for healings, for signs, for wonders. I said in the beginning that what you pray for reflects what you believe about God. Y'all believe God can do miracles? Everyone say yes. 
Okay, then you pray about it. And you pray for it. And you put your money where your mouth is. Because most of us, the way we're living our lives is if our God is like a paralytic. Like we have a handicapped God. And God, if you will, but I know you don't want to. I know you don't want to heal this person. I know you don't want to do this. So we trust your will and don't ever do anything glorious ever. Amen. We trust you. As if our God is on a sickbed with an IV in his hand and he's waiting for the doctor to come revive him. What you pray about reflects what you believe. True story. I remember this is back when I first became a priest. In the church, we have a prayer called unction of the sick, which is when somebody is sick, you call on the priest, okay, and the priest comes and prays over oil and then anoints them with oil. Okay, and it talks about it in James chapter 5, that when you're sick, call the priest and they will anoint you with oil. I'm a rookie priest. This is my first unction. I've never done this before. I got me a book. I know how to read the book, and I'm just following instruction, instruction. The person that I'm going to the unction for, he passed away, was one of my, like, one of the people that I really, really, like, look up to in life. He was like a mentor for me. Even though he didn't know he was, he was like an incognito mentor for me. Like, I love this guy. This is one of the smartest people in the world. This guy knew the Bible better than he knew his wife, okay? You can take that in a positive or negative. <laughs> we'll spin it in a positive way. <laughs> he knew the Bible, like, like, so we do the unction. I anoint him with the oil. I'm proud of myself. I just knocked out one of these sacraments things all by myself. And then he, over lunch, he asked me. He said, why did you pray over me? It's like, we mean why I prayed over you. He said, why did you pray over me? I like, because you asked me to. He's like, no. He's like, I'm saying, why do you as a priest pray for sick people? I'm like, the Bible says we're supposed to. Jesus told us, pray for sick people. And he said, no, you didn't. I was like, yes, he did. <laughs> but I'm not that confident. He's like, Jesus never commanded his disciples to pray for sick people. He commanded them to heal sick people. As soon as he said that, I started looking in my book. I'm like, I don't know if that's in here. <laughs> but he was 100% right. Jesus never said pray for sick people. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 10, verse 7 and 8, he said, as you go, preach, saying the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And while you do that, heal the sick, cleanse the lepers, raise the dead, cast out demons, freely you have received, freely give. Jesus never commanded us to pray for sick. He commanded us to heal the sick. And you say, well, I don't know how to do that. That's why you need to pray. That's exactly why we need to pray. Because we were given a task that is greater than us. If my only job is to pray for sick, I don't need to pray for that. I mean, it is praying. If I thought my job was just to do something small, I don't need to pray for it. But we got a big mission. We got a big mission here. We are continuing the mission of Christ himself to preach the gospel to every single creature. How are you going to do that? We need to pray. Because what is very, very clear about these apostles is that these guys believe two very, very important things. They believe, number one, Jesus commanded them, commanded them to pray for miracles. And Jesus, or I'm sorry, to do miracles. And number two, they believed that they could not do it. That's why they prayed. They believed that Jesus commanded them to do miracles, and then they believed that they had no ability to do it on their own. That's why they prayed for miracles. What do your prayers say that you believe about God? I'm going to take your prayers, and I'm going to say, what does this person believe about God? For example, my prayer, thank you, God, for this day. Thank you, thank you, thank you for this day. Every day, thank you for this day. Nothing else. What does that say about your belief in God? It says that the highlight of your day is just waking up in the morning. And you don't got anything planned for your day. All your goal is just to exist, get out of bed, 
Thank you. Back to bed. God, help us to arrive safely and give us safe traveling mercies. I don't know what that means. Traveling mercies. Help us to arrive safely. Okay. Maybe if you slowed down a little bit and buckled your seatbelt, you'd be safe. Is God, his job in life, is to get you from point A to point B safely? Because some of us, that's how our prayers indicate. Our prayers indicate that God's job is just to get us from one point to another point safely. Just to get us from one career point to another point safely. Just to give us food on the table and do nothing else in our lives. And that's all it is. Or you believe God has a mission. And you're part of that mission. I say pray for miracles. You say exactly what I would say, which is, what if it doesn't happen? Now, the great caveat in prayer. How can I pray for miracles? What if it doesn't happen? Two things. And believe me, I am I'm more analytical and cynical than you are. There's no one who's sitting in this room that's more analytical and cynical than me. So I'm the same way. Why would I pray for, how do I know, how do I know that God's going to actually heal this person? Two things. Number one, we don't just pray for miracles haphazardly. We pray for the miracles that God is telling us that he's going to do. And we have to have faith and believe in him when he's leading us and saying, and he's telling us, pray for this person and pray boldly. And then we have to have the faith to do it. We don't just pray for miracles that we want. I want to win the lottery. And Father Anthony said, pray for miracles. Man, that's not a miracle led by God. That's just you selfish. You want to win the lottery. We have to be led by God. And remember, when we talked two weeks ago, we said that the more we spend time with Christ and we follow him and we follow him in his word, the more and more he'll lead us and he'll give us the faith in what he wants to do, not what we want him to do. Praying for miracles is never about what we want. It's about what he wants to do through us. So number one is we don't just pray for miracle randomly. Okay, it's got to be led by God. And number two, and here's the big one. If God doesn't do a miracle when we pray for it, that doesn't shake our faith. My faith is bigger than one no to a prayer. And I hope your faith is as well. God's saying no to my prayer. Many times God says no to our prayer. And if we're honest, the reason why we don't pray for miracles is because we did. God said no, so we stopped. No's shouldn't stop me from asking God any more than my child who asked me for dessert and I tell him no one night. I hope he doesn't walk out of the house and say my dad is a loser. My dad never takes care of me and never gives me anything. Yes, I said no on Thursday, but I'll probably say yes on Friday. And then Saturday I might say no again and then Sunday because we have a relationship. And in a relationship, sometimes you are disappointed. Sometimes you are encouraged. This is how a relationship works. Sometimes God gives us exactly what we want. Sometimes God gives us a no. My faith in God is not so weak and so piddly that one little no, and I, get, I pull the plug on God, and I say God is unable, or God doesn't love me, or God doesn't care about me. I could stand up here and tell you many stories of times that I prayed for miracles. And I got a no, a no, a no, a no, a no. And I could tell you, and I had a couple stories prepared, but then I said that wouldn't be as much fun about telling you as a yes. Because every time you pray for miracles, you're going to have some yeses, some noes. Y'all rather hear a no story or a yes story? I'm going to tell you a yes story. And it's not my story, it's someone else's story. And it happened three days ago. 
And I promise you, like with God as my witness, it happened in such a way just for me to tell you the story today. Three days ago, four days ago on Tuesday, I was somewhere. I was somewhere, okay. Somewhere not here is what I want to say. And I met another priest, all right? And this priest is a blessed man. I love this priest. I respect him tremendously. I think he's a man of God. A lot of other people hate his guts. I think he's the best. This priest was asking me about a couple, a couple that I know who had been separated for about eight months. And he was asking me about them. He said, what happened? And I said, you know, and I kind of explained the situation. And he hadn't spoken to anyone. He hadn't spoken to him or her. He lives far away. But he had just heard. He said, what happened? And I said, what happened? And this and that. And then I guess I said the expression like, you know, I don't know what I said, but basically my, my, there was no hope. That's basically what I said. I said, yeah, you know, it's like we work with him, we work with her, but the likelihood is very slim. And when I say it's very slim, I'm just trying to be nice, but I mean, there's no hope. So basically telling him, like, you don't need to get involved. Don't worry about it. There's no hope. And he said to me, and I thought this is just, it's just something we priests say. He said, we need to pray for a miracle. That was his exact word. And he said, we'll pray. And I'm like, oh, yeah, sure. But in my mind, like, yeah, no, no, thank you. This is on Tuesday. Wednesday, I'm preparing this message. And I get to this part of my preparation. And I promise you, in front of God as my witness, I'm struggling with this part. Say, how am I going to say pray for miracles? God, I'm going to pick all these people up and then uh, uh, crush. Like how, like realistically, I'm going to get all their hopes up. Pray for miracles, pray for miracle, pray for miracle. And we know the truth is, you know. And I get an email while I'm preparing. I'll read you exactly what it said. It's from the husband in this situation. He said, this is after eight months, and I'm saying no hope, and everyone said no hope. He said, I received a call from, and he says the name of his wife. I received a call from so-and-so two hours ago. She said she loves me, and she wants to start dating again. That's the whole email. And I about fell to the ground. I was outside, I was in a hotel, I was by a swimming pool at the time. Okay, I about fell to the ground in the swimming pool. People probably thought I was having like a seizure or something like that. I about fell to the ground by the swimming pool. This priest probably doesn't even know about this miracle, but he prayed for this miracle. And God answered his prayer. God honored, God, someone said this, I don't know who said it. God honors big prayers because big prayers honor God. God honors big prayers because big prayers honor God. Bold prayers, world-changing prayers. God honors them because they give honor to him. And they reflect our belief in a God who is big and who is mighty. And a, and a, and a couple who is separated, man, that's easy in his hand. And a person who is lame, man, that's easy in his hand. And five loaves and two fish, man, that's easy in his hand. All that stuff is easy in God's hand because we have a big God. And sometimes that big God says, I'm able, but I will not. And we say, we love you. We trust you. I ain't going to shake our faith. We're just going to get closer to you and closer to you and closer to you. And we're going to pray for more opportunities to be bold. And then when we get those opportunities, we're going to pray strong, miracle, believing in you prayers. Because that's what gives you honor in the end. Last verse. Back to our church promise. You, whatever city you're in, you shall seek the peace of the city where I've caused you to be carried away captive, and you should pray to the Lord for it. Here's what I want to leave you with. I want to put you in the mind of God, and I want you to ask God, God, what do you want for my city? 
Arlington, D.C., Rockville, Bethesda, Ellicott City, Ashburn, Vienna, wherever it is you live. I don't care where you live. God, what do you want for my city? And instead of me telling you what I want for my city, I want to ask you, what do you want? I'm not going to do anything. I'm not going to do anything. But I'm going to pray for it. You think God likes going outside these doors and seeing thousands upon thousands of people. A beautiful day like today, Mother's Day, walk out here to Clarendon, you see the place, you're not be able to find a place to park, find a place to eat. You're going to see thousands and thousands of people. You think God likes looking down on Arlington, Clarendon today, and seeing so many people who are Christian in name and who have the belief in here, but their life is very far from him. You think God likes that? You think God appreciates that? You think God wants to do something about that? You think that God looks down on the many broken homes that are all around you and kids living with a, without a dad who has left them and abandoned them or a mom who doesn't care about them or whatever the circumstances. And you think God does, his heart doesn't break in that situation? You think God just looks at that and doesn't care? You think that God looks down and sees the people who are addicted to drugs, to alcohol, to pornography, and God just looks and barely bats an eye at that? Man, I'm telling you, our God cares. I'm not saying that we need to do anything. We need to pray about it. And we need to pray bold prayers. And we need to pray world-changing prayers and say, God, I know it breaks your heart to see the world around me like this. And I know that I have a role to play. And I haven't done anything. I haven't even left my house yet. But I'm going to lift it up in prayer to you. I don't pray big prayers. I'm not just going to pray selfish prayers. I'm just going to say thank you for this day and thank God that it's not me. I'm just going to say, look at all these people addicted on me. Thank God it's not me. I'm going to look at all this situation and I'm going to say, this is my responsibility and I got to do something. And even if I can't do anything, I'm going to put it before you, God, and I'm going to pray. Question I want to leave you with. What do you think God wants to do in your city? And what are you going to do about it? We are commanded, commanded to seek the peace of the city around us and specifically to pray for the city around us. It's my hope and my prayer that, uh, that we don't just take this as, as like words. We don't just take this as like nice message. My hope is that we make like our church, like my hope is this is our church, that we seek the peace of the city around us. We pray to the Lord for it. And we pray together and we pray separate. We pray powerful and we pray standing. We pray sitting. We even hold hands every now and then if it, that's what it takes to bring peace to this city. Because you and me and all the world, you will never, I said this before, I'll say it again, you will never find the blessing of God as much as you are selfish and seeking it for yourself. You will never find the blessing of God as much as you are selfish and seeking it for yourself. You want true blessing? Then learn to be a channel, a conduit of blessing. Learn to be one who gives peace to others and you will find peace flowing through you like a river. And I don't want to say, I don't want to say, I'm just going to finish with this, but even sometimes God sends you certain people who are living examples of that. Okay, and sometimes there's people who are amongst us, and I want to encourage you amongst us today that are living examples of that, of exactly that point, of people, and you know who these people are, that they seek the peace of the world around them, and God fills them with peace because they, become that re they don't become a reservoir, they become a channel of God's peace. That's what we're going to do as a church. All right, ladies and gentlemen.
Let's stand up and pray together. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, one God, amen. Lord, we thank you from the depth of our heart that you've called us to be your disciples and to be your followers. Lord, and we pray that you would never let us fall into the routine, going through the motions kind of doing church stuff. That you'd help us to always be on fire for you as a church. That you'd give us boldness that when we leave here today, that you would provide opportunities for us to preach your word. And not even to preach, but just to love someone in your name. And that if we're standing in front of a miracle needing situation, that you give us faith to really believe and to really know that you are sovereign, Lord, and there is nothing outside of your control. We give you all the honor and all the glory and all the credit, Lord, it all goes to you, but we pray that you would glorify your name in this city of ours and this world of ours that we live in. We pray this in the name of your only begotten Son, our Lord God and Savior, Jesus Christ, and with the prayers and intercessions of all your saints, hear us as we pray thankfully. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us and lead us not into temptation. Through Christ Jesus our Lord, for thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever. Amen. Thank you all very much. Have a great day and happy Mother's Day once again to all the moms.